G'day friends, welcome back. What a round of footy. That was another absolute perler of a round of footy. So, St Kilda, West Coast, Brisbane, even even GWS, they all fell over, right? All had very bad days. And then you got Hawthorne doing what they did. You got Fremantle doing what they did. Richmond fell over as well. Oh, wow. It was crazy. All right, let's get into it. St Kilda first, obviously. Um, 31 point victors were Carlton. First of all, very good game by them. Good of them to bounce back after a tough week in the press. Tough week for David Teague. Um, I think this loss is good long-term because it, it continues the, you know, the, it keeps the pressure on to really make off-season changes. So the biggest issue from this game, and, and it's been an issue in a lot of our really poor performances, is two things. It's the, it's the ball use by both hand and foot, especially around the contest. And it's the the coaching style, whether it is a deliberate coaching style or something that's sort of been forced, you know, but by certain players not being in the team for most of the year. But it, it's, it's the... Like, on Friday night, Carlton did not have a Ruckman for the last three quarters of the game. And, you know, Marshall obviously dominated very heavily in the middle, but Carlton still dominated the game. Like, Silvani, even though he wasn't getting hit-outs, him and the other midfielders were reading Marshall's hit-outs better than us, and even if they didn't, they would heap the pressure on and force a turnover pretty easily. Right? We couldn't take advantage of complete destruction in the ruck. It was unreal. And when, when we do get it around the contest, when you've got your inside mids, Crouch and Dunstan specifically, who put their head over the ball and get the thing, but then can't get it out with any kind of, you know, effectiveness efficiency, any kind of, you know, first part of a chain that's going to result in anything damaging. Like, Crouch, Crouch, I think, has had a pretty decent year, 
Like his first sort of 10 to 12 games after coming back from suspension were pretty solid. But the last few weeks just... And, and this was the worry about him when he came across from Adelaide that he's an accumulator who doesn't do anything with the ball. So that is definitely what he's been the last few weeks. He's very, very good at getting the thing. Very, very good at it. He's actually one of the best I've seen at St Kilda in a good while at putting his head, like just diving in there and getting the thing. Right? But him and Dunstan and even, even Ross, Billings some of these other guys, it's the over-handballing. It is the persistent, annoying as fuck, like, style of play. Just pass it around until you find something that's going to work perfectly, right? So many times, and they've been doing it all year, especially when we've been getting beaten. They've been doing it a lot, and it is so frustrating. It's almost as frustrating as bad kicking for goal. It is so frustrating to watch. Just or look up towards goal. Don't see anything perfect. I'm just going to hand pass it back. Hand pass it back. Get useless, cheap little disposals. And then, oh, we've turned it over. Oh, they've kicked a goal. Right? St Kilda had the top four possession getters in the game. Steele, Crouch, Dunstan, and somebody else. I forget. Um, Jones. It was Jones. And... So many of those disposals, especially from Crouch and Dunstan, were just nothing. Nothing disposals to each other, to Jones or Hill on the outside who who were just already under a heap of pressure. How many times did Hill get past the ball just because he's fucking Brad Hill? Like, there, there was one which I couldn't believe. I can't remember who had it. I reckon it was... It might have been Highmore. It was, I think it was one of, or Connolly, one of the younger players. They had it on the halfback flank. Hill ran to them. He was 20 or 30 metres away. He ran to them to receive a handball that was about one foot and then execute the kick that the, the other player could have done themselves. Just, just passing it to Brad Hill for the sake of passing it to Brad Hill and Carlton picked up on it really quickly they start it's became so predictable by by the third quarter that it, it was you know Carlton were picking it off with real ease and it was it's just so frustrating it's been a real problem all year the overhand balling if you don't have the perfect option that's fine just kick the thing and take some grass i've been saying it all year I would much rather a turnover 30 metres closer to goal than, than, you know, 30 metres closer to the back line. Just, I don't know. And, and th- there was a lot of the ball movement that was just very stagnant. And, and, and you had, like, a young player like Connolly, who, credit to him, really tried to take the game on. There was a couple of times where he got the ball in that sort of half-back area, and he took off through the middle of the ground. He tried to run and carry and move the ball. But because no one else was clearly coached for that, he had no options, and it ended up getting turned over. But, you know, he had that idea, 
to like, right, I'm going to use my skills. I'm a good kicker and I'm a good runner. Let's let's just go, right? Even even Brad Hill hasn't been allowed to do that, right? Because you know he wasn't working on the wing. Now they've moved him to half back, and yeah, he's been getting more disposals across half back since he moved there. But has he has he attributed it to to us winning more games? No, not at all. Moving, they need to take this off season to figure the fuck out how to get Brad Hill to work in the forward half of the ground. He, he he did not come to just get 30 disposals every week playing on a half-back flank. That is not why he's at the club. We have so few players who can kick it well going inside 50. That's why we can't, you know, win a lot of games. That's why it's taken Max King so long to be able to, you know, play well. He's kicked 10 goals in the last two weeks. Good on him but it's been such a slow development because the delivery inside 50 has been atrocious for a lot of the year. Brad Hill has to, has to, has to play in the forward half. He needs to be starting on the wing and he needs to be pressing up. And a lot of the time he needs to be that kick that goes inside 50. Like he can't, he can't just spend the next five years playing on a halfback flank it will, it will be a disgusting waste of his abilities. Seriously. Um, who else do I want to trash? <laughs> um, oh, look, when, when Ryder was laid out just before the game, I thought, no, we'll be okay. We've got Marshall in there. You know, their, their Ruckman's just... Tom DeConing is a good young ruckman, but he's a very young ruckman. Marshall should be able to outmuscle him and outplay him. And then DeConing was subbed out of the game. I was like, oh, beauty, this will be all right. But gee, Marshall in there on his own, without Paddy's creativity, without without his athleticism, without his decision-making, it was alarming the difference that it made. It was seriously alarming. Um, so they have probably 12 months. I think Paddy goes around one more year. They probably have 12 months to figure out what they want to do moving forward in terms of the two-ruck setup. Because Marshall isn't going to be able to rely on Paddy for the rest of his career. He needs to be able to handle it either on his own or they need to bring in Probably a young ruck beneath Marshall, who who can help. But, but you know, Marshall needs to learn as much as he can off Paddy in terms of tap work in the next twelve months. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of games like this where you know a ruckman who might not be as good a player or as big as Rowe is is you know completely outmaneuvering him in the ruck because he doesn't know his his actual ruck craft is not up to scratch and bringing in Paul Hunter Jesus Christ how desperate were they to maintain that two ruck setup like you know give Paul Hunter plenty of credit he, he his effort is always very good he tries really hard and he might be he might have been the best sandful ruckman at the time when they picked him up at the start of the year but he just can't crack it he can't 
he's not dominant enough in ruck contests and he isn't mobile enough to do anything else. Right? He's his forward craft is just not there. It's not what he does, right? If if Ryder's gonna go out of the game, you go, alright, forget the two ruck thing, right? You have to have Max as the second ruck or you know, whoever, do what Carlton did. Have a guy who's 190 centimetres be the second ruck, right? Have it be Highmore or Wilkie or Membry, whoever, right? You know, that's the problem with Rats. I think he I think he really lacks creativity. He's not willing to really throw the magnets around when things get desperate. Like, when Howard was subbed out of the game, right? That left Wilkie at 193 centimetres, I think, as our tallest defender. Going up against Harry Mackay and Charlie Curnow, like, basically by himself. Highmore's our next big boy, but he's only playing his 10th or 11th game or something, right? When Howard goes out of the game, you've got to think, right, this isn't going to work. We're already five, six, seven goals behind. We need a creative solution to this. Why wouldn't you, even if it's Hunter, Hunter or King, put them down on Harry Mackay? Right? Just try to lock him down. Yeah, they're not going to be able to go with him in terms of his running and his athleticism, but if the ball gets dropped on his head, they'll be tall enough to spoil it. Or, you know, big enough to even out-muscle him and take the mark themselves. But no, they left Wilkie down there, who's giving up eight or so centimetres and, and just stood no chance. Like, obviously Howard, structurally, is probably the most important player after Paddy to go out. So not ideal. And he's going to be out for the rest of the year, assuming it is a standard hamstring. So who knows what they're going to do next week. Bring in Frawley. Bring back in Claverino, who's still only 195 centimetres. It's a real issue, our, our tall defenders. Like, they seem to really like Howard and Wilkie as just the two big men by themselves, but too many times we have been exposed by forward lines that have two or more 200 centimetre forwards. West Coast have done it to us. Port Adelaide have done it to us. The list goes on, right? In the off-season, among other things, we need another two-metre-tall key defender. We just need one. doesn't have to be in our best team. We can go and draft one. We can go and recruit one who's maybe, you know, a 20-year-old who can't quite get in the team. Look at Fisher Mackesy, right? Pretty high draft pick, struggling to get into Adelaide's team, right? Perfect sort of player that I'm talking about, right? But Dugues needs some help because it's a bloody long season. And the last month or so, he has really struggled. Gives away sloppy free kicks. His, his ball use is pretty good for a big man, but it's not the best. Um, yeah, he, he's just, he's, he has had a very long year. And as a vice captain, he's carrying a lot of pressure. He's trying to be a leader down there and stop the biggest key forward in the opposition, like, yeah, he needs some help. So we need to pick someone, pick someone up in the off-season who can 
help him. Wilkie by himself. Wilkie's a very, very good player, but he's just not tall enough to take someone who's two metres tall. He just can't quite do it. Um, yeah, just just too many passengers behind Steele. Too many. I think St Kilda need to decide what they want to get out of these last three games of the season. So we've got Sydney next week, Geelong the week after, and Fremantle the week after that. Do they really, really, really want to, you know, try and win two of those? You know, keep the best team in, you know, just see what can happen. Or do they want to just try something different? You know, get the youngsters in. Play Bytel, Burns, Connolly. Play Sharman for the rest of the year. He was good when he came on as a sub. Four marks, two goals. He was good. That's just in the second half. Um, yeah, they've got to decide what they want to do. I, I would be playing Bytel for sure. Take out Crouch or Dunstan. Take your pick, whichever one you like the least. It'll probably be Dunstan. Um, and get games into Bytel. Very highly touted draft pick. Can't get a game. You know, he might be the next inside mid for St Kilda for the next decade. We don't know, because they won't fucking play him. Um, I'd be keeping Connolly and Burns in, just, just to see, you know, the more we see of them, the more we'll know. I think Burns is going to be a real player. I'm not 100% on Connolly yet. I think, you know, he's just a little bit excitable. I think, you know, he's been playing across half-back and sort of on a wing and... You know, he's getting a little bit of the ball, not as much as you'd kind of want out of a player playing in that position. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see his decision-making improve. He's a very good kick off both feet, as I've said before. Just his decision-making to improve a little bit, become a little bit more damaging. Um, but yeah, he, he might be a player as well. To, you know, maybe bring in Claverino for the last three weeks with Howard out, rather than going for Frawley. Um, I don't know. I don't know why Caulfield can't get a game. I'd be playing Caulfield, because watch him go to another club. He is going to be... The way he played last year, he looked like a future captain. Very composed. Very, you know... He played beyond his years. He finished sixth, I think, in the best and fairest. Right? Now, he won't be in the top dozen, won't be in the top 15 um, this year, but he, he is a serious, serious talent. They need to keep playing him. And something we needed against Carlton on the weekend, especially when Howard went down, was a little bit more height. Which, again, he isn't super tall, but he's another 190-plus centimetre sort of medium defender who could be that intercepting type if Wilkie and Highmore and Howard are all locked up with with bigger forwards. Um yeah, look next year, serious like we it's gonna go one of two ways. We're either gonna bounce back up the ladder, we're gonna have a lot less injuries, they're gonna figure all this shit out and we'll be a lot better. The alternative is that they think that the only reason we haven't played well is because of injuries. The same shit happens again 
and we fall further down the ladder. I think they need to be bold and ruthless in the off-season, have a very serious think about, do we want to keep Billings? Do we want to keep Ross? Do we want to keep Dunstan? Do we want to keep Long? Do we want to keep Loney? Like a lot of these players who have been around St Kilda for a little while who are just not winning us games of football. They are contributors, but too often they do the bare minimum. Billings has supposedly been carrying a bit of an injury this year, but his output has been well down on years past. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago they started talking about a new contract for him. I would be putting that on hold just a little bit. Um, Ross, again, just a very meh midfielder. Is, is quite consistently getting sort of mid-twenties in disposals, but is he damaging with them? I don't know. My end-of-season review of St Kilda is going to be like a two-hour podcast because I'm going to have to go through so much stuff. It's going to be ridiculous because um, th- there is lots of things to consider. Bringing in another elite midfielder who's actually going to do some damage key defender, like I said, who's going to be the next backup ruck when Ryder retires? Is it Max Heath, who we picked up in the middle of the year? Don't know. What do we look at for the draft? Is that where we pick up our midfielder? A lot of questions. We're going to have lots of retirements this year. I think Carlisle will retire. Geary retires. Frawley retires. Um... Kent will retire, I would imagine. Hanbury should retire. He probably won't. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a real worry that when this game would have put us into the top eight, we put that up. Like, that's that's the output that we gave. Just zero effort, zero enthusiasm, like from everyone, not just the players, but the the way they were coached, just with no flair, no excitement, just just nothing. I, I think Rats is a good coach, but so often he's showing me otherwise. <laughs> Seriously, like the biggest thing for me is the lack of flexibility and creativity. I don't know. Obviously from inside the four, wall, four walls, they would know better, but I'm just not seeing enough to have any serious, legitimate hope for the next few years. I think it could be a lot of floundering around the middle of the ladder for the next few years. I really do, which is, which makes me really sad because after winning a final last year, we had a lot of promise. You take that team and you add Brad Crouch and Jack Higgins to it, you think, oh, we're only going to get better. Not the case. Not the case at all. Anyway, like I said, really, really well done to Carlton. Sam Walsh is 100% going to be the best player in the competition in 12 months' time. Like, with a month to go in the 2022 season, he'll be the favourite for the Brownlow, I have no doubt. Um, it, it, it was, it's been good to see, as frustrating as it was, it's been good to see Jack Silvani have a really, really solid year, and a left field option as a backup ruck, you know, Sean Greek type, you know. It's good to see that from him. Um, 
Yeah, I think having won four of their last six games, the review has re- really got to, you know, I know that they say they've already finished it and they've, you know, put in their findings, but they've got to take these last this last month and a half very seriously. The players are playing fatigue. That's for Teague, not fatigued. <laughs> They're playing for David Teague. And, you know, they've been playing relatively well. They had an absolute mare against North Melbourne. But apart from that, they've been pretty reliable, pretty consistent. So I think at the very least, he's going to get a good run at it into next year. If there's no improvement by the middle of next year, that'll be three years he's been coach, and that's probably where they call it. Like with Buckley this year, around that buy time, they'll call it. But I think he get, I think he gets into next year for sure. All right, yeah, that's enough moping about St Kilda. Like I said, I'm going to go into very, very fine-tooth comb detail in the off-season. But I've got three more games that I'm going to have to endure <laughs> before then. Um, but yeah, j- just one of the more disappointing matches of the year for St Kilda, for sure, on Friday. Anyway, that's the end of the St Kilda segment. <laughs> um, sorry it went on for so long, I'm just very passionate about what's been happening at the club. Alright, on to the rest of the round. So, Saturday, well, obviously Saturday was meant to have more games than it ended up having, but obviously everyone knows about the the lockdown in Brisbane and the fixture reshuffle that they had to do. Again, round of applause for Travis Old and, you know, whoever else has been involved with all the fixturing. This year has been so impressive how they have been able to move things around, get all the games away. Like when these games got postponed for Saturday, I was like, oh, they're going to be playing them in the bye round after round 23. There's going to be clubs going straight from that game into finals. There'll be all sorts of controversy. No, they they moved them immediately to Sunday, which then meant that they had to move games for next week so that there weren't five-day breaks. Like, it's, it's really, really, really impressive what they've been able to do with the fixture this year. It's been more difficult than last year because last year they just went, all right, fuck it, we're just going to go into a hub. No one's going to move. Everyone's going to play there. We'll just figure it out. We'll keep them all in a block, right? Now, this year, they've, they've tried so hard to keep everything the way it originally was fixtured. And for the most part, they've done really, really bloody well. Um, so, yeah, the first Saturday game was up in Ballarat. Um, Bulldogs versus Adelaide. This game went pretty much how you'd expect. Bulldogs won by 50 points. There isn't, you know, a whole lot to look at here. They were very, very dominant early. Adelaide a little bit more competitive in the second half, but, you know, this is a, like, Bulldogs are the best team or equal best team with Geelong in it at the moment. And Adelaide are, you know, they're just where they're at. There's not a whole lot that can be done about that. Um, I will give a lot of credit to Riley O'Brien or as the commentators called him on Saturday, Brian O'Reilly, <laughs> just made me laugh. Um, he played a very, very, very good game. He's, he's one of the more underrated ruckmen in the competition. He's been 
you know, working bloody hard for Adelaide for a few years now when they haven't been getting a lot of success. Um, he was one of the better players on the ground. So well done to him. Bulldogs, you know, did what they have done, you know, for a lot of this year, just, you know, cruised along, just pretty much ran over the top of a weaker opposition. Um, Caleb Daniel, very, very good game from him. Um, he, he hasn't quite been on the same level as he was last year, but still one of the best small defenders in the competition. Um, but but apart from that, what what was good about this game from the Bulldogs is that there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a McRae with, you know, 40 touches and two goals, or there wasn't a Bontempelli with 25 and four goals. Very, very even spread of contributors, especially through the middle. Right. Smith with 29, Liberatore 25 and a goal. Um, even Bailey Dale off halfback, 30 touches and a goal. McRae, 31. Hunter, 20 and a goal. Bontempelli, just the 15, still kicked a goal. Like, really, really even contribution from all of their mids. So, that's what you want heading into September. Like, I, th- I think it's even more important or more not important, um, more, they'd feel more confident given the fact that it was Bontempelli who had the most quiet day of all the midfielders, just 15 touches, and they were still able to win like this. So it shows that they can still be extremely dominant without, you know, their captain being the superstar that he is. Um, second week now of the Shacky experiment, down back, and credit to Luke Beveridge, it may end up being the masterstroke of the season. He's still, his one-on-one work will get exposed because he just doesn't have that experience. But if he can continue to read the play and intercept the ball the way he has been, he'll do just fine. And Alex Keith will come back probably for the first final. Um, and, you know, if you know if the first final is going to be against Port Adelaide or Geelong or Melbourne, which is, or it might be against Sydney, really against any of those teams, you're going to need two big defenders. So you would play Shaki and you would play Keith. So, you know, this it, it might be one of the best coaching decisions in terms of selection that we see this year. All right, going on to the next game was North Melbourne versus Geelong. Really funny old game, this one. North Melbourne have again played really, really well. Like, they've pushed Geelong all the way until right, you know, right to the end of the game. It was low scoring, which helped them, definitely. But I was thinking this yesterday. This game was down in... Tassie. They've played a lot of games down in Tassie this year north. Obviously, this would never happen, but if they were to move down to Tassie and become a permanent Tassie team, be the Tasmanian Kangaroos, the Tassie Roos, right? I think it would be an enormous success for them. Like, the way they've played in the last two months has been unreal given where they came from, right, to build the 
club from basically nothing over the next five years as the Tassie team. Make Hobart, make Launceston their fortresses. Like, they could be something really, really special down there. Obviously, they're not going to leave North Melbourne. That just won't happen. But imagine if it did. I think it would work really, really well. Just a thought I was having yesterday. Um, yeah, they were really good again, North Melbourne. They, like, of all the young teams down the bottom of the ladder, like, take them, take Hawthorne, take Collingwood, take Adelaide, I would love to be a North Melbourne supporter right now. Just the, the way they're going is awesome. It is awesome. Um, their 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 back line, especially with Zebel going back, I, I love the move of Zebel into the back line. That's worked really well. Mackay kept Tom Hawkins, the Tom Hawkins, very quiet. Didn't kick a goal until the last quarter. Um, their forward line, I think, will still need another big body. Apparently they've got some interest in Sam Wiedemann. I think that is the exact sort of player they need. But their midfield, if they can hang on to all this young talent they've got, Thomas and Simpkin and Anderson, all these guys, that they, they they could climb the ladder really quickly. North Melbourne, really quickly. Uh, you know, Geelong, mature enough to, you know, hang on to the lead, not let the young kangaroos jump them. Um, you know, they, they just did what they had to, to get the win. Really cool to see the Guthrie brothers be probably the two best players on the ground. Um, best game of Zach Guthrie's career by a good way, as far as I'm aware. Um, still sort of playing that half-back role mostly, but, you know, to rack up 28 disposals, he hasn't been able to you know, break into the Geelong side permanently, really at all yet in his career. But after a game like that, he shouldn't be getting dropped anymore. There's no way. Really good game from him and and Cam as well. Two goals to go with his 29 touches. Really good from him. Um, Isaac Smith should be up there as one of the recruits of the year. Um, when they picked up him and Higgins, I was like, gee, two more old blokes. Like, how good are they going to be? Higgins has been okay, been the sub a couple of times, been in and out, but Smith has been nothing short of awesome all year. Really, really good pickup from them. Again, exactly what they needed. Exactly what they needed. Um, yeah, that they're they're probably now certain to finish top two. Geelong, I don't know who they have, and I know they got St Kilda in two weeks' time. Um, before that they have the Giants and then after that they have Melbourne that'll be a good one Yeah, they probably win all three of their remaining games and finish in second so you know do they get a home final at GMHBA I rather doubt it (laughs) Um, but yeah they they will go into September equal flag favourites with the Bulldogs unless something drastic happens. Really, really, really good form they're in at the moment. Geelong, all right, on to the next game. One of the more surprising results of the round was Collingwood beating West Coast by 45 points at the MCG. Bit of revenge for the 2018 grand final. Um, 
West, how can West Coast play like that in Shannon Hearn's 300th game? Like, he's the first Eagle to ever get to 300 games and they put in a performance like that. That is unforgivable. Like, he, he has been a hero of this football club. Premiership captain, he, he was integral in winning that flag in 2018. He helped turn the game when Collingwood were five goals up in the first quarter. Hugely important. Um, yeah, it's it's this is an amazing scoreline. They, they didn't kick a goal until there was a few minutes to go in the second quarter, West Coast. Collingwood were 10 goals, one in the first half. Eagles, one goal, five. Absolutely unbelievable. And, and it's these sort of performances that just tell me, you know, they are probably going to make fine. It would take something drastic from here for West Coast not to make the top eight. But, that, you know, they won't win a final and they don't deserve to. They've been they've put in too many and like like a few weeks ago that Monday night loss to North Melbourne at Optus like they shouldn't be with the team that they've got they shouldn't be playing the way that they are like the reason that Collingwood were able to open them up so much was the way they were using the ball it's similar to St Kilda except it's even slower like seriously the complete lack of pressure and effort displayed by West Coast. Like, I, I, I can't remember seeing a bottom side being allowed by a top eight side to do whatever they want to such an extent. Like, nothing Collingwood did for most of the game was put under any pressure at all. They were allowed to move the ball with ease through the middle of the ground. It was remarkable to behold. Like, look at these numbers, right? So... Crisp, 36 disposals, 89% efficiency. Dugowie, 34 disposals, 82%. Adams, 34 disposals, 79%. Sidebottom, 33 disposals, 85%. Maynard, 30 disposals, 90%. Main, 26 disposals, 92%. Howe, 24 disposals, 92%. Like, that, that, that is a, a complete... Lack of pressure from an opposition. Are being allowed to kick the ball with such ease, like, that that's inexcusable. Like, West Coast are meant to be a serious football side, and they're allowing their opposition to have that much ease of movement with the ball. That is amazing. That is amazing that they're able to have that level of disposal efficiency against West Coast. That's nuts. And, like... Loads of credit to Collingwood. Loads of credit. Robert Harvey, well done, mate. Like, if, if you seriously want the job, they may consider you now. Like, they continue to play their kids. Bianco and Rusco and... Uh, and McRae and... Henry. Like, all, all their kids are playing really, really well because they're getting lots of games into them. They're building confidence. They're being allowed to play with a bit of freedom. Like, that's how you play young players. Whereas West Coast, they've got all these old guys who are just like, oh, you know, we've got a flag. They're just not. They don't have the enthusiasm anymore. Unless they're playing in Perth, they've got nothing. 
they've got nothing. Like, and the MCG is somewhere where historically they've played pretty well, especially against Collingwood. But it just, it truly blows my mind that on such a big occasion, like Shannon Hearn's 300th game, that they put that up, that they will be disgusted by that. And, and now with their list starting to age a little bit, and this year, you know, a flag being pretty much out of the question, that they got to look to, you know, how are they going to approach the next few years? You know, Nat Nui's getting on, Hearn obviously getting on, like Kennedy probably has one year left. Um, you know, they, they got plenty of older players. How are they going to go to recruit some more younger players? Are they going to go to the draft? Go, right, like we'll, we'll dip out of the eight for a couple of years and then try to bounce back in. Don't know. But, yeah, when, when they're that unreliable interstate, th- they'll never be in contention for a flag, with, you know, when they're playing like that away from home. All right, on to the footy frenzy that was today, Sunday. I, I, wish, I wish so much that I hadn't been at work today, so I could have just sat at home, gotten the KO dual screens going, and just watched all these games back into one another. Because it was a very, very entertaining day of football. First up, you had Melbourne versus Gold Coast, in granted what was not a very entertaining game, but still very interesting to me. So Melbourne victorious by 98 points um 18 20 to four goal six they could have won by 150 points if they kicked a bit straight in melbourne like 18 20 is a remarkable scoreline that is crazy like they kicked what's that five goals it was their one goal six in the last quarter that made them so inaccurate, but they could have won by well over 100 points. Let me talk about Gold Coast for a second. So every time Carlton don't play well, everyone's like, all right, Teague's gone. Every time every time Collingwood weren't playing well, oh, Buckley's gone, now he is gone. You know, there's been all the talk about Hawthorne, now Clarkson's gone. This is Stuart Dew's fourth season as coach, fourth full season. Where's the talk of him getting the sack? Like, as I have said many, many times, Gold Coast have built a very solid list. Yes, they've had very, very serious, legitimate ruck issues this year. But apart from that, they haven't missed a whole lot. Their midfield is on the young side, but it has got real star power in there. Their forward line is, you know, looking very healthy, especially with Ben King playing the way he is. Their back line, yeah, it doesn't have any... It lacks a, you know, very tall key defender, but it's still got some very, very handy players down there. Like, they shouldn't be... They should be playing better than this. That They shouldn't be getting belted by 100 points, especially when yesterday Melbourne spent like seven hours on a plane flying to Queensland and to Perth and back to Melbourne or wherever the hell they went, Melbourne would have been pretty knackered 
and then and and then they go and beat Gold Coast by a hundred points. It is amazing that Gold Coast are not getting like if Gold Coast were based in Victoria, they would be getting ripped to shreds constantly, constantly. Um, I mean, you can't even you can't even analyze that their performance today because it was almost non-existent. Like. To be so resoundly beaten. I said this when St Kilda got smashed by 110 points, whatever it was, by the Bulldogs. When you get, when every single aspect of your existence is ripped to smithereens, there isn't a whole lot of analysis you can do. Um, Melbourne were just way, way, way too good. And when you've got Max Gorn kicking banana goals from about sixth row... Uh, you know, you just you know, you're just food to be played with. Honestly, um, who didn't love seeing Max do that? Honestly, that was awesome. Um, and you know, the same goes for Melbourne. You can't take too much out of a victory like this when you're playing against next to no opposition. You can't suddenly let your head get too big. Yes, Melbourne played very well. Luke Jackson played very well. Ben Brown played very well. Um. But, you know, when when they're allowed to play with such dominance by a totally lacklustre opposition, you cannot take too much out of it. Melbourne shouldn't now suddenly skyrocket back into flag favouritism because they had a 100-point victory. You need to remember who it was against. And yes, their forward line functioned as well as, as well as it has done all year. This was their highest score of the year by a good way. You know, Ben Brown kicking four, Jackson kicking four. But until, like, like I said, they got Geelong in round 23. That will tell me a great deal more about where they're at than this game did. Yeah, they'll be wrapped with how they played, but just just maintaining a little bit of realism is very, very helpful in this sort of situation. You know, don't want to get your hopes up. By too much, I would say. What I can say is, though, um, I can say that if you're Sam Wiedemann, you should be taking, you know, very serious meetings with other clubs because now Melbourne will stick with Ben Brown. Kick had a four-goal game, they will stick with him now. He will be playing finals every game. They, they will not experiment any further. They will stick with this now. Um, and, you know, four years to come. So if I'm Sam Wiedemann, I, I would very, very strongly consider going to a North Melbourne to be part of, to be a key part of something special rather than a, you know, a backup part of something special. You know what I mean? Anyway, that, that was one of the less exciting results today. The following game... Hawthorne versus Brisbane. What an utter shit show this was. This was as much of a shit show as Hawthorne's week in the press was. So, if you look at the final result, Hawthorne victorious by two goals over Brisbane. You think, gee, what a you know what a tight, hard fought victory by the Hawks, and then you look at the score worm. And you see that they were like 50 plus points in front at three quarter time. 
Brisbane then had an eight-goal final term to win by to lose, sorry, by just the two goals. This game was ridiculous. And of course, of course Hawthorne come out and play like this. Of course they do. <laughs> like, this always happens. Like, Buckley announces that he's finishing up at Collingwood. They come out and beat Melbourne that weekend. Like, this always happens when there is an enormous event off-field at a club, like Clarkson getting the boot, but they come out and play like this. Says to me, first of all, that his players still love him, that they can play like... They, they played... This was all for Clarko, right? That's who they were playing for, right? Obviously, he coached them very well, but to have this kind of performance for three quarters says that they, they were all in on Clarko, that they have got his back until he's finished up. Like, it's amazing what what something like that can do for a team's enthusiasm for their effort. It is amazing what it can do. And, you know, this this performance actually underpins something that I said pre-season. Hawthorne are better than a bottom four side. They are, especially with Clarko as coach. Like, they, the, their list on paper might be the weakest in the AFL, but when they play at their best, they're a very, very good team. Like, they got a few X-Factor players like Wingard. He had some great moments today. Um, you know, they've got they've still got a pretty good mix of youth and experience. Like, you know, you got your leaders, McAvoy, Mitchell, O'Meara, these guys, and then you got all this, you know, this plethora of youth who, who do have a lot of talent. Like they're not in a terrible, terrible, terrible spot. It'll, it'll be fascinating to see how Sam Mitchell goes next year as coach. Do they get better? Do they get worse? What decisions does he make in terms of recruiting, drafting, team selection, week to week? It will be fascinating. But, you know, something just as fascinating was how they were able to absolutely rip Brisbane apart. Brisbane have slowly, slowly just fallen off since the St Kilda game. Like the, the, you know, lost to St Kilda, lost to Richmond, um, and then they seem to just have slowly started to give up. Like you know, two months ago they were still one of the premiership favourites. A lot of people fancy them to go all the way, but now they just seem to have lost all desire to compete for it, which is really sad because they're a very very exciting team and they're up and going. But now top four looks very much out of reach. Like, it looks like fourth spot is going to be taken by either Port Adelaide or Sydney. So, um, Brisbane are going to have to win four finals in a row to if they're going to win the granny this year, which just, it just isn't going to happen. They're going to have to play, you know, either West Coast or whoever finishes eighth. You know, probably going to be, probably going to be the Giants, Maybe Fremantle or Essendon. Can't see it being Richmond, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, it, it, they've just unnecessarily made their year a lot, lot harder for themselves. Look, they have 
one of the best teams on paper at the moment. Like, you know, even with Hipwood out, their their midfield is extremely good. Their back line still very good. Their forward line still very good, very potent. It's just, it's just that their effort has completely collapsed in the last month or so. It's been very, very surprising to witness, to tell you the truth. Anyway, yeah, well done, Hawthorne. J- just on the on the succession thing and on the on the announcement they made during the week, it I find it shocking. I, I was blown away when I saw that they'd made that announcement. I couldn't believe it. First of all, I couldn't believe that Caro was right about something. <laughs> you know, yes, she definitely deserves to be apologised to by by everybody who doubted her. I still have a big problem with the way that she journalists things. It's all very opinion-based. She, she has a lot of trouble with just stating facts. Um, that being said, she was dead on about this. Uh, it, it, it has been a complete mess the way it's been handled. Jeff Kennett is probably going to be out the door just just because just of the whole fiasco and what a disaster it has been. Um, I have a little theory personally that he was the one who leaked the information just in an attempt to orchestrate everything that has gone on to get Clarko out. Um, i got to say, though, like it, there is no way that it is not going to end up being a net negative for the club. Like, How much more difficult now is Sam Mitchell's job without having 12 months of Clarko helping him, of Clarko being that safety net for everything, for decisions, for criticism, everything. Now he's being dropped in the deep end with a very, very weak list that he has to rebuild by himself. I, I find it very hard to believe that he would choose that, but he's also a very ambitious person. So maybe he was involved in some way in the, you know, the forceful departure, premature departure of Clarkson. In every way, it was poorly handled. Hawthorne supporters are going to take a long time to get over this. I think the players are going to take a long time to get over this. Don't be surprised if there's a number of them who move on and go to different clubs in the, you know, in the off-season. Just like, you know, if I was a player who was really, really big on Clarko, if I had a really good relationship with Clarko, if I trusted him, if I thought he was a great coach, all of that, really positive connection with Clarko, and my club treated him like that, I'd want to go. Like, especially if you're, like, you know, not really old yet, you know, in your prime, maybe, and you don't really want to be around at this club while it spends five years rebuilding itself, you know, like a Jager O'Meara or a Chad Wingard, you know, one of those sort of players, I, I, I would be very interested in going off to a club that's a bit higher up the ladder, a bit closer to a premiership, just to get away from all the mess that has been the last month or so. It, it, is, it is going to have a very negative impact on, I think, everyone at the club for some time. All right. The next game was one of the games of the year. It was the third game of the year to have two teams score over 100 points. And it was the third game of the year 
where two teams scored over 100 points that involved the Essendon Football Club, which I think is very interesting and very telling about the way that they play. Um, This is the best of what football can be. 33 goals kicked in one game. You don't see that often enough anymore. Like we've only had the three games this year where 30 plus goals have been kicked. We, we need to, sorry, that's not true. We, we have, we've only had the three games this year where 30 plus goals have been kicked and both teams have scored over 100 points. There have been games where lots of goals have been kicked, but they've been smashings. Um, anyway, yeah, we need more of this. What an exciting game this was. The, the rapid fire scoring, the very, very quick ball movement. Like, you can see exactly how open this game was, but by how little tackling there was. Look at the tackle stats. Very, very few tackles laid in this game. Um, Sydney just getting out with the win. When the game is going like this, it's anyone's game, right up until the end. When you can score that quickly and that freely, it's anyone's game. I applaud Ben Rutten and John Longmire for for both playing the game like this. When there was, <clears throat> when there was that flurry of goals in the third quarter, like you would have expected the two of them in the fourth quarter to try and shut the game down. So like, no, no, we're, we're getting scored against too heavily. Let's go defensive. Let's slow the game down, try and win it our way. But they both just doubled down and kept the game flowing. It was so refreshing to see them coach like that. So good to see. To, to backing in their, their two... These are the two most exciting young teams in the comp. Backing them both in to outrun, outmaneuver, outscore the other. It's so exciting to see. We, we love it. We love it. Imagine seeing a grand final played like that. Both teams kicking over 100 points. We'll, we'll never, ever see that again. But imagine if you did. Wouldn't it be the best thing ever? Oh, man. Seriously. It'd be so great to see. I think Essendon fans will just be relieved that Buddy didn't kick a bag on him. He only kicked the two. So I believe he's got 15 goals to go now in three games plus however many finals. So still a bit, you know, iffy on whether he's definitely going to make it this year. It's now looking more likely to be early next year. Either way, he's going to get there pretty soon, which is fantastic. Um, Yeah, I I hope that Essendon can sneak into the eight because I think the way that they play would make the finals just that much more exciting. Um, Imagine if Sydney end up fifth and Essendon end up eighth and we get a repeat of this in an elimination final. How much fun would that be? That'd be... The other thing is how accurate the game was. 16-6 to 17-7. Like, this was just a special, special game. Um, I think that Sydney are continuing to put their best foot forward. They very, very well could sneak into the top four. And if they finish top four... 
they could do an enormous amount of damage come September. I can't see them getting into a grand final. I just don't think their their young players are going to be able to stand up to the very, very different game style of finals. But they could make a prelim for sure and cause a lot of headaches for the more seasoned teams in the top eight. Um, and Essendon are losing no fans either. Like they're, they're probably not going to be making finals now. Like I said, if they did, it would be very, very exciting and it would be good for football. But I think no matter how their year ends this year, it is an enormous success that the game style they've developed, the players that they've bought in, you know, some of the wins they've had have been amazing. Like, Essendon fans should be absolutely thrilled with how this year has gone. And there's still three more games for them to enjoy. So, yeah, really, really good year from Essendon. And Sydney are just finding form just at the right time. Very few injuries. All their good players are firing. Um, yeah, they're, they're as dangerous as any other team in the in the top six probably Sydney. Alright, going from a, an extremely high-scoring game to an extremely low-scoring game. So we had Fremantle defeating Richmond, thank you Fremantle, by four points. When I turned this game on, it was two goals ten to one goal eight, and that was at half-time. This is one of the most ridiculous games I've ever witnessed. Like how normally you'll get one team whose kicking is horrendous, but for it to infect both teams to this extent, that's a worry. Like the second quarter, Fremantle kicked four behinds and Richmond kicked seven. And that was it. No goals were scored. <sighs> Just like... This is it was a little unrichmond like to play like this, but how much like Fremantle was this sort of game? Just just winning in the most absurd of situations. Winning wearing, sorry, wearing their their retro green anchor jumper, which I love by the way, um, and just having to battle it out to get the win. The last quarter was thrilling. So only eight goals kicked for the entire game, up to three-quarter time. And then there was, what, another five kicked in the last quarter. So Richmond kicked away early and got in front, and then Fremantle had to fight back and get the win. Um, one of those goals came after Lockie Schultz's specky, which was one of the best of the year. Yet again, we go another week, and a mark of the year, a legitimate mark of the year contender is added to the list. I don't know who it is that... I believe it's a fan vote for who wins that, but God, it is a difficult, difficult decision because this one was a ripper. It was a lot like Rewalt's um, from earlier in the year, going back with the flight, not looking, and then still getting the the rise. It was an absolute perler, and it came at a key point in the match. Um, I think it, it, it was fantastic to see... Fremantle win off the back of the likes of Chera and Brayshaw and Sarong 
So no Fife in the team, no Walters in the team, no Pierce in the team. Um, you know, their only really experienced player in there was Mundy. And again, he played really, really well, but he was basically doing all the all the leading on his own. No other, you know, super mature plays in there, especially in the midfield. So for Fremantle to play with so much maturity, I think, you know, their future looks really bright. If they can hang on to these plays, your Brayshaws and your Cherries and your Sarongs, um, they're going to be, they, they could very, very well play finals next year. They're on that sort of trajectory. Um, there is a bit of talk about Chera moving back to Melbourne, but, you know, that'll come when it comes. Um, if Sam Walsh is the best player in the AFL in 12 months' time, Andrew Brayshaw will be the second best. He, in that last quarter, he willed his team over the line. Future captain sort of performance. There, there was a clearance that he made in the dying moments of the game. He got the tap down from Darcy and he charged, not just through Darcy himself, but a handful of Richmond players. He's like, I'm going to take this and just bulldoze everybody to get it out of this defensive 50. He was unbelievable to behold. He is going to be some kind of player. And when when Fife does hang up the hang up the boots, you know, it's probably still four or five years away, um, Brayshaw will be right there ready to be Fremantle's next superstar. He probably already will be by that stage because he, he is an amazing footballer already. Chera, like I said, fantastic. Sarong played one of his best games for the year. Tabernar kicked three goals in a very low-scoring game. Like, Fremantle just... that they, they are not winning every week. They're not the most consistent, but they continue to show all these really strong, promising attributes that they've got. Richmond, on the other hand, their year has slipped away from them. They had a chance to win this game and get themselves back in the eight, but they've, you know, they've fallen a little bit too far now, I would say. I think even if they can somehow sneak into the eight, it, it's the uphill battle is a little bit too great, I would say. So they're now, they're in 11th. They're only out of the eight. I mean, you know, they're out of the eight on points, in fact, not even percentage. So they're now going to have to win one more game than Fremantle do to get in. They do have a strong percentage, but I just, I just can't see them doing it. You know, they're slowly bringing players back and they're still not banking the wins, which, you know, it is a sign that they're, you know, they're done. Maybe not, you know, the dynasty might not be over. They might be able to bounce back and do well again next year. But you just get the, the way that they're playing, you can see that they're, they don't have that fight in them anymore. They don't have that tough, gritty determination that got them three flags in four years. It's gone. It's just gone, which is fair enough. Like, it's a mental game, and they've had a heap of success. 
Like, yeah, they're not going to have that elusive three-peat, oh dear, but three out of four ain't bad. So, if I'm a Richmond player, it doesn't matter how determined you are, you get to a point where you're satisfied with the success you've had, and you do not have anywhere near close to that same level of hunger as you used to. And that seems to be what's happened. You know, they've had injuries, but they still have a lot of their good players in the team, and they just can't quite get it done in some games in the last four to six weeks. Um, uh, last game of the round, Port getting the job done against the Giants by 27 points. Um, the, the Giants, like Port got out to a big lead early on, five goals or so, and then the Giants fought back but then they just couldn't couldn't get in front, couldn't hang on to a lead. Um, they really needed to, like, if they had won this, the Giants, it would have been really hard to unseat them from eighth position, having that extra two points from the draw with North Melbourne. But now that they've, you know, lost it, they're back down with the pack just outside the eight. Um, they... The Giants, gee, I feel like the Giants, out of all the teams who are fighting for eighth spot, probably deserve to be there the most. That that they've just had, I think, the best year out of your Fremantles, Essendon's, Richmond's, St Kilda. Like they've just they've just been the best team, I think, out of all of them. Whether or not they're actually going to end up in eighth spot, we'll have to wait and see. Um. They're going to have to be without Jacob Hopper for at least a week. That was a brutal concussion. Um, I don't recommend trying to smother the ball with your face, but, you know, he's trying to do the team thing and he got his head kicked in. That that was one of the hardest-to-watch concussions that I can remember. Very, very unsettling. he's, He's a superstar, so hopefully he's back up and running very soon. Um... Yeah, Port, Port, Port are just finding a little bit of form. Like, they, they beat the Saints. They won last week. I forget who against, but they won last week. Um, and now they've, now they've beaten the Giants. They're, they're doing quite well. And they're in the top four. Like, we can't ask a whole lot more of them. I don't know what else they're going to need to do to start being mentioned as a flag possibility. But they've got Butters and Dersma and Rosie back in now. They've got their three young superstars, the players that they've been missing, you know, for large parts of the season. They've got them back. And they're now pretty much without injuries to key players. There aren't any that I can think of that they're missing currently. I think they might be still be missing Motlop. Fantasia came back. Um... Yeah, if there are, they're, they're, I can't think of them. They're going really, really well. Um, so if they can hold on to fourth spot and fend off Sydney, who are trying to get in, fend off Brisbane, who are barely hanging on, um, and get themselves a second chance, you know, a home final at some point if they're lucky, who knows what they could do. they got a lot of... Of all the teams in the top eight, 
I think Port Adelaide are the ones that are going to be the most difficult to predict because they've been just out of form for a lot of the season and now suddenly they're in form but no one seems to have noticed yet. And I don't know, I, I just have a feeling that they, they're going to upset someone big time along the way at some point. I just get that vibe from them. Like, they were my favourite to win the flag pre-season. Like, I can't see them doing that, but I just I just have a feeling that they're going to ruffle some feathers, if you will. I don't know. Um, and, you know, the Giants, they haven't got the perfect setup. They're, they're still a little bit too reliant on Granddaddy Mumford, you know, winning the game for them or Toby Green winning the game for them. They've got lots of really, really good players, but they are still sort of piecing together that Ferrari that they had a few years ago. Their, their back line has been hit with injuries a little bit, especially the key position players. Um, their, their forward line is really missing Cameron. Himmelberg was a little bit sloppy with some of his decisions today. Just a couple of things aren't quite there. But when they play like they did earlier in the year with that intense pressure and all that skill that they've got, they, they can be they can beat anyone on any given day. So don't count them out just yet for this season, especially with that drawn game in the bag. All right, that will do for today, guys. Um, if you noticed that the sound quality is a little bit better than usual, I did get a new microphone. So hopefully there should be no more white noise at all in any of the upcoming podcasts. Hopefully. Um, I'm, I'm definitely no sound engineer. I'm not super technical with all this stuff, but it should be pretty good from now on. So yeah, thanks for listening to that one, guys. Remember to like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Instagram if you haven't already, leave comments, leave reviews, do all that stuff. I really, really appreciate it. Still sort of trying to get the podcast off the ground a little bit, get some, get it a bit more popular. Um, so yeah, whatever you can do is greatly appreciated. All right, I will catch you guys next time. Bye.